Our reading today is Nehemiah, the whole of chapter 4, verses 1 to 23. When Sanballat heard that we were rebuilding the wall, he became angry and was greatly incensed. He ridiculed the Jews, and in the presence of his associates and the army of Samaria, he said, What are those feeble Jews doing? Will they restore their wall? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they finish in a day? Can they bring the stones back to life from those heaps of rubble, burned as they are? Tobiah the Ammonite, who was at his side, said, What they are building, even a fox climbing up on it would break down their wall of stones. Hear us, our God, for we are despised. Turn their insults back on their own heads. Give them over as plunder in a land of captivity. Do not cover up their guilt or blot out their sins from your sight, for they have thrown insults in the face of the builders. So we rebuilt the wall till all of it reached half its height, for all the people worked with all their heart. But when Sanballat, Tobiah, the Arabs, the Ammonites and the people of Ashdod heard that the repairs to Jerusalem's walls had gone ahead and that the gaps were being closed, they were very angry. They all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and stir up trouble against it. But we prayed to our God and posted a guard day and night to meet this threat. Meanwhile, the people in Judah said, The strength of the laborers is giving out and there's so much rubble that we cannot rebuild the wall. Also our enemies said, Before they know it or see us, we will be right there among them and we'll kill them and put an end to the work. Then the Jews who lived near them came and told us ten times over, wherever you turn, they will attack us. Therefore, I stationed some of the people behind the lowest points of the wall at the exposed places, posting them by families with their swords, spears and bows. After I looked things over, I stood up and said to the nobles, the officials and the rest of the people, don't be afraid of them. Remember the Lord, who is great and awesome, and fight for your families, your sons and your daughters, your wives and your homes. When our enemies heard that we were aware of their plot and that God had frustrated it, we all returned to the wall, each to our work. From that day on, half of my men did the work, while the other half were equipped with spears, shields, bows and armour. The officers posted themselves behind all the people of Judah who were building the wall. Those who carried materials did their work with one hand and held a weapon in the other. And each of the builders wore his sword at his side as he worked. But the man who sounded the trumpet stayed with me. Then I said to the nobles, the officials and the rest of the people, The work is extensive and spread out, and we are widely separated from each other along the wall. Wherever you hear the sound of the trumpet, join us there. Our God will fight for us. So we continued the work with half the men holding spears from the first light of dawn till the stars came out. At that time, I also said to the people, Let every man and his helper stay inside Jerusalem at night so that they can serve us as guards by night and as workers by day. Neither I nor my brothers 
nor my men, nor the guards with me took off our clothes. Each had his weapon, even when he went to water. This is the word of the Lord. Father, we, uh, we thank you. We thank you for Nehemiah and uh, for his faithfulness and his leadership. And I pray that you would speak to us now by these words and by my words. Help us learn how we can overcome opposition as he did back then. Amen. Five years ago, the people who made the Collins Dictionary made fake news their word of the year. And yes, that is two words. And they defined it as uh, false, often sensational information disseminated under the guise of news reporting. But probably its most famous user is, of course, Donald Trump, who uses it still to smear any news coverage he doesn't like, which usually is if he doesn't agree with it. Ironically, he even claims to have invented the term, despite the fact that it was used in the 1890s. So I guess he could be much older than he appears. (laughs) The term itself might be 130 years old, but the concept was alive and well back in Nehemiah's day. We see it as he faced opposition from the governor and the officials in the, in the area who didn't like the idea of the Jews getting stronger and rebuilding the walls around Jerusalem. And the opposition, it actually came immediately. So before Jeremiah had even reached Jerusalem, in fact, it started before he'd even left Susa. In chapter 2, verse 10, it says this, When Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite heard about this, Uh, That's uh, what Nehemiah was going to do. They were very much disturbed that someone had come to promote the welfare of the Israelites. And then the fake news begins uh, in verse 19 of chapter 2. Sanballat the Horonite, Tobiah the Ammonite, and Geshem the Arab heard about this and mocked us. What is this you're doing, they asked. Are you rebelling against the king? Well, no, they weren't. They were following the king's orders. But the fake news spread, and uh, we see it again in chapter 6. This is verse 6 of chapter 6. It is reported that you and the Jews are plotting to revolt, and therefore you are building the wall. Moreover, according to these reports, you, Nehemiah, are about to become king. The king will hear about this. The fake news spread. In our actual reading today, we saw how they were being, the Jews were being ridiculed for their efforts. Early on in those read, that reading, uh, verse 3, Tobias says, what are they building? Even a fox climbing on it would break down their wall of stones. Now that wasn't true. The wall was nine feet thick. So it was a lie. And it got personal as well. They attacked first the group of Jews and they attacked Nehemiah as the leader. Rumours and ridicule became fierce opposition. There were plots, assassination attempts, threats of war, all of which could have put an end to the good work that they were doing rebuilding the walls. Now, in one sense, opposition is good. In chapter 2, Sanballat was simply disturbed at what he heard. Then chapter 3, I I really love chapter 3, and it might seem a bit boring, but it's just this incredible list of all the different things and the different ways that the people of Israel built those walls. Chapter 3 describes the incredible work they did from so many different people, all organized by Nehemiah. Some of them did a lot, a big section of walls. Some of them just did a little bit outside their house. All of them together made great progress building the wall. So that's why at the start of chapter 3, Sanballat is no longer simply disturbed. Verse 1, he became angry. 
Worse than that, he was greatly incensed. The opposition grew precisely because God's people were making progress. Precisely because they were, they were achieving something. They were doing what God was calling them to do. There's no point opposing something that is no threat. Sanballat wanted God's people to have broken down walls. He wanted them to, to be defenseless. And those who oppose the church today, they want the same thing. He and they want God's people to be weak and defenseless, intimidated and beaten down. So that means when we face opposition, as long as it's not because we're being obnoxious, in a sense, it's a good thing. Because it's a sign that we're on the right track, that we're being faithful to God. That we are maturing as disciples, that God's kingdom is growing in depth or in number or hopefully both. That's when we meet opposition, as Nehemiah did. Now, of course, around the world, including in the UK, we do meet opposition from human enemies like Sanballat. But we need to keep Paul's words in mind, really. Ephesians chapter 6. Verse 12 says this, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. We'll come back to Ephesians 6 a bit later. But for now, it's enough to be reminded that, unlike with Nehemiah, in the main we struggle with not other people, but with the devil, with spiritual forces of evil and darkness. Now, I'm not one to see a demon under every rock or behind every problem. But the truth is that there is a spiritual battle. Whether you recognize it or not, it is happening. And what we need to be, we need to be aware of it, and we need to be prepared and ready to fight in it. Facing opposition is not easy, but it does encourage me that the enemy wouldn't oppose us if he didn't need to. If we weren't a threat, he would leave us alone. The quiet life does sound quite good, doesn't it? So opposition is, in a sense, good and certainly inevitable, which means Nehemiah's response, which should also be ours, is crucial. Alan mentioned it last week. Do you know what Nehemiah did time and time again in whatever situation he faced? What was the first thing he did? He prayed. Chapter 1, verse 4. When he heard about the situation in Jerusalem, Nehemiah prayed. Chapter 2, verse 4, when the king saw he was sad and asked what he wanted to do about it, Nehemiah prayed before answering. In our passage this morning, verse 5, Sanballat and Tobiah got angry, ridiculed the building efforts, and Nehemiah prayed. When they plotted later on, verse 9, they plotted to come and fight against Jerusalem, Nehemiah and the people prayed. When the plots turned to false rumors and fake news of rebellion, do you know what Nehemiah did? He prayed. It was through prayer that Nehemiah made so many wise and good decisions. It was through prayer that he was helped to encourage the disheartened builders. It was through prayer that he was able to stand firm against God's enemies. Nehemiah was a gifted leader and an incredible, as Alan said, project manager. But more importantly, he was committed in prayer. Prayer is as important to our spiritual life as breathing is to our physical life. Prayer is as important to our spiritual life as breathing is to our physical life. And you breathe, don't you? 
But how often we neglect prayer and then wonder, and if you're like me, complain, when our faith starts to wither. In verses 1 to 3, we read how the opposition started to grow and become a real threat. And I don't know if you noticed in verse 2, it's no accident that in verse 2, when Sanballat ridicules the Jews, he is in the presence of his associates and the army of Samaria. There was a standing army waiting. There was genuine, real peril there for God's people. Put yourself in Nehemiah's shoes. Or sandals or boots. I don't know what he wore. Doesn't tell us. Put yourself in his footwear. He knew what God had called him to do. And he was faithfully doing it. What more can God want? Things had started really well in chapter 3. Really well. They built half the wall. And then this. What on earth is God playing at? Now, we may not pray exactly what Nehemiah did in verses 4 to 5 because we face different situations. We don't have an army, praise God, on our doorstep threatening to wipe us out. But we do face situations similar to this, where, which don't make sense, that we don't understand, that seem to go against who God is or, or what he's called us to do. And if that's you right now, I encourage you to pray like Nehemiah did. In verses 4 and 5, he prays with honesty and passion. He was distressed, he was confused, he was angry, but he didn't turn away from God. He laid it all out. So much better for our our anger and our frustration to come out in prayer. So much better than for it to be expressed in public. God can take it. And it's definitely better to let it come out in prayer than to hold it inside, where it becomes, if we're not careful, bitterness and resentment. One of my commentators that I read for this put it like this. Nehemiah 4 tells us to be angry, but on your knees, not in public. So, we've had opposition is good, prayer is crucial, and now discouragement is understandable. I really feel for the Jews here, much like Nehemiah. I mean... As I said, chapter 3 describes this sort of heady mix of uh, excitement, uh, really hard work, but genuine progress. must have been really exciting. I can almost hear them singing as they work, God is with us. Often when things go well, we see it as a sign of God's presence and blessing with us, don't we? And then when trouble starts, we start to think God's abandoned us. Such fair weather disciples. Because Nehemiah and the people were in big trouble. They really were. There was depression inside the city and opposition outside the city. In verse 10, we read, The people in Judah said the strength of the laborers is giving out, and there is so much rubble that we cannot rebuild the wall. Then in verse 12, The Jews who lived near came and told us ten times over, wherever you turn, they will attack us. The people were losing heart. I can see why. And now if you go walking in the hills and mountains, as, as I like to do, every now and then, on a long, hard climb, it, it starts to get the better of you a bit, especially the ones where you go up, then you go down a bit, then you go up, then you go down a lot, then you go up, and then down, and then up, and down. It's the up and the down. It's like every step down on the way up a hill, I resent it, 
Because it's a waste of the steps up I've just done. But then on the way down, it's even worse because you just want to get back down for a pint and you keep going down and back up again. And you think, I've already been up. But isn't life like that? I feel like we're, it's, life is not one steady, smooth progress upwards. It's up and it's down and it's across and it's around. It's full of false summits, tempting vistas, deep, sometimes deep and long valleys, and tantalizing views, sometimes far away. That's true of life anyway, let alone when you throw in being a disciple of Jesus to that mix. I'm not surprised God's people got discouraged. They've been going up and then they sort of crashed down a bit in this moment. They were surrounded by their enemies. Building the wall was a huge undertaking. I said it's nine foot thick the entire way around the city. That's a lot of stone. And to them it felt like they'd barely touched the huge mound of stone and burned rubble. The thing is, though, they had actually made quite a big difference. Verse 6 tells us the wall at this point was half its height. Now, I'm no specialist builder, but it seems to me that that means they'd used half of the rubble because they'd already rebuilt half of the wall. That's quite a lot, isn't it? I think that's quite a lot. That's a, you know, when you're building a church, you get halfway up, you think we're doing all right. You see, depression can distort our sense of reality. So things appear bigger, smaller, harder or worse than they really are. And they stop us doing the thing that we need to do. Like someone who is hungry, refusing to eat. And I used to be like that growing up. I used to get very anxious when we traveled. We used to uh, drive down to uh, France um, in the summer. And I didn't really enjoy the journey. And I particularly didn't like the fact that I didn't know when or where we were going to get food. So I used to have this sort of, like this tightness in my tummy. And of course, what that made me do was, I was, I was a young boy, I wouldn't eat because my tummy hurt. So then after a few hours, it wasn't just the anxiety that made my tummy hurt, I was hungry as well. And mum would say, you just, please, just eat. So I, would, I wouldn't eat. And it just got worse and worse until eventually I did eat something and then probably fell asleep. Part of growing up, both as a, as a person and as a disciple, means learning to recognize when our, our attitude, our way of thinking is stopping us from seeing things as they really are. Nehemiah's response was, as ever, wise. I do love Nehemiah. don't know if you can tell. First of all, he did something about the immediate danger. So the, Jews, the, the, the enemies of the Jews were saying, verse 11, before they know it or see us, we will be right there among them and we'll kill them and put an end to the work. They were going to sneak in through one of the gaps in the wall And then the enemy would be upon them without them realizing. Now, it's no good wringing your hands in existential angst if your enemies are at the door trying to kill you. So Nehemiah, verse 13, he stationed some of the people behind the lowest points of the wall at the exposed places, posting them by families with their swords, spears, and bows. He dealt with the immediate threat of danger. And then he looked things over. It's another great thing about Nehemiah. He wasn't the sort of shoot from the hip sort of person. He would consider. He wouldn't just pray, although he did pray. He would have a look. 
He spent three days going around the, the walls to see what they were when he arrived. He looked over the defenses to make sure the city was safe before he moved on. And then he dealt with the problem. Now, interestingly, I don't know if you noticed this, he completely ignores the complaint about the rubble. Doesn't mention it when he, when he speaks to the people. I think that's because he realized it was a red herring. It was an excuse to stop. It was a symptom of the deeper problem, which was a lack of faith. It's easy to make the mistake of treating the symptom rather than the cause. And we need God's wisdom to be able to tell the difference. So Nehemiah reminded them in verse 14 of God. Don't be afraid of them, he says. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome. Time after time, we need to be reminded to focus not on our fears or our troubles, but to lift our eyes to see God. We do that through, through reading the scriptures, reminding ourselves who God is, how great he is, how awesome he is, in the sense of awe, but also, I think, in the sense of awesome. Reminding ourselves of what he has done, the promises he's made. We do it through prayer. Making, not finding time for prayer. You'll never pray if you only try and find time for it. We need to make time for prayer. Devoting time to God. Because as we do that, as we lift our eyes to see God, we start to see things as he does. He starts to change the way we see the world. So we see things as they truly are. And as that happens, our fears seem less and less threatening. It's a kid's song that goes, giant fears are really small when all you see is God. So Nehemiah pointed them at God, and then he reminded them why they were rebuilding in the first place. Again, verse 14, fight for your families, your sons and your daughters, your wives and your homes. This was not a team-building exercise at Go Ape or something like that. If you've done stuff like that in your work careers or whatever, it was not a team-building exercise to find your way across the lake without falling in on a couple of barrels and some rope. This was real. They were fighting for their lives. It really, really mattered. And so they got on with it. They got on with the task because of the way Nehemiah encouraged them. He slightly rejigged the way they worked to reflect the new situation. So uh, verse 17, anyone who was carrying building materials, they carried their work in one hand and a sword in the other, so they'd be ready to fight. Half of them were uh, sort of behind, ready to go at a moment's notice. And then at verses 19 and 20, because they were spread out across the walls, they had this arrangement where if one of them heard the trumpet, they'd all rush to that area to join in the fight so they could fight together. And it was hard work. Verse 21, we continued the work from the first light of dawn till the stars came out. And there was even a rotor, a rotor for guard's duty, so that they stayed within the city to get some sleep, but they took it in turns to keep guard. So the city was safe, even through the night, and they did it. Chapter 6, verse 1, I rebuilt the wall. Obviously with those. Now, like Nehemiah, we face opposition, though perhaps not quite the same way. I imagine many of us can identify with what the people in Judah said in verse 10. The strength of the laborers 
is giving out. So what do we do about it? First, there's prayer. I've already said that. I'm going to say it again. I'd love us to build our lives around prayer rather than fitting it in when we can. That is part of prayer, but actually we need to structure our lives around prayer as well. I want our first instinct to be prayer, which helps us to lift our eyes to focus on God rather than our fears. Second, trust. Faith. Faith is not about being sort of robust or strong in yourself. Faith means putting your trust in God's strength, leaning our weight on him, much as I'm leaning my weight on this floor. I trust that you built it correctly, and I'm not going to suddenly fall through. I don't stand up because I'm strong. I stand because the floor is strong. And then there's scripture. They built the wall with a trowel in one hand and a weapon in the other, a sword. And I'd love us to do the same. And of course, our sword in Ephesians 6 is the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. We need to read it. I don't want to know how many of you read it and how many of you don't. Read it. Listen to it. Meditate on it. Memorize it. We ignore it at our peril. We will be overrun. We need to be ready to fight. But ultimately, our calling is not to do battle. Our calling is to build. Because unlike Nehemiah, our enemies have already been defeated by Jesus on the cross. He won the decisive victory. Our enemies still have real power to hurt and to harm, but they can never, never separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Because the life we have in him is stronger even than death. There is nothing in the world that can take us away from Jesus. Our enemies have already been defeated. Our purpose is not to do battle but to build. So as we build with word and spirit, as we learn to trust and lean on God, as we start to build our lives around prayer, what we're doing is we are living out that life that Jesus won for us on the cross. We're not earning it, we're living it out. We're making the most of it. We're living a life worthy of the calling we've received. It's not complicated, but it's hard work. Much like rebuilding a wall around a city. It's not that complicated. It's one stone on another, but it's jolly hard work. It takes discipline, and we need one another. I would love to know how long it would have taken Nehemiah to rebuild the wall on his own. Thankfully, he had a whole load of people who joined in. We need one another, both to help us build and to encourage one another when we get disheartened. Together with God, I do believe we can overcome any and all opposition from whatever quarter it comes. And we can rebuild the walls, the metaphorical walls that many of us feel are sort of thrown down at the moment. And Nehemiah shows we do that by working hard and trusting in God's strength. Amen.